listening to Below the Bible Belt, but before we start the show, we'd like to take another moment to have a message from our new sponsor for this month, Cowboy Bob's Discount Tax Service. Yes, that's right, James. Cowboy Bob, in addition to being one of the greatest legal minds of Alabama, he also specializes in tax law, specifically when it comes to a little-known subsection of U.S. federal tax code that inanimate objects don't have to pay taxes. Thanks to Cowboy Bob, I am now legally considered a bookshelf in at least four states, and that is a tremendous tax write-off. And of course, based on my preferences, Cowboy Bob had me legally declared a pair of brass knuckles, so I'm getting $5,000 from the government while I kick ass. Unfortunately, it is illegal for you to pass state lines in certain areas of the country. It's not a perfect system. And then it gets very dicey whenever Border Patrol asks you all of these philosophical questions. It's, it gets very, I think, therefore I am. That's why I have a standard stock response for every question. I'm a pair of brass knuckles. I'm here to fuck shit up. So for all of your inanimate object existence needs, go to CowboyBob'sDiscountTaxServices.com and use the offer code BELT for 25% off your first objectification. And also you can save an extra 30% by typing in ham sandwich. That's H-A-M sandwich. Thanks, Cowboy Bob. All right, here it comes. Sword Confessions of Two Men with Nothing in Common but an Accent. I am James. And I am Ant. And today we're welcoming our favorite regular guest. Well, let's come on now. Don't don't play favorites, James. We love all our children equally. But not really. We say that. We love them all equally, but we don't. But still we have to maintain the facade is what I'm trying to say. I'm kinda getting into weird funk. I apologize. This episode we welcome back our favorite recurring guest, our Bob Hope, if you will. Our Steve Martin to SNL, our Jimmy Kimmel to win Ben Stein's money. That would be the one, the only, illustrious Alex Cook. <laughs> Listener discretion is advised. Oh, no, he said it. I Look, you got rid of the bit. I feel like it's only fair that I warn your listeners that their listening ability needs to be advised. Why you got to bring up old shit, Alex? I am, I am the ghost. Do. I am the ghost of belt past, I feel like. <laughs> I, Those I episodes never... are dead to us. We're like a shark. We stop moving forward, we die. No, I am the Harrison Wells of this podcast, all right? I will come back in some form or another to wreak havoc on the life of the Flash, a.k.a. James Lewis. Wait a minute, if he's a Flash, then who am I? Oh, I... Don't say Cisco. God damn it, you better not say Cisco. We've established this, Matt. You are fast, Matt. Okay. Work for me. Yeah, you're essentially the Jay Garrick of the piece, including with the handsomeness. So I would love to wear a Doughboy helmet. You have no idea. You just run around in that thing. Speaking of which, you were telling me just the other day that you had made a significant purchase in recent days. 
Me? Oh yeah, of course. Um, that's right. I forgot. You don't says, have money. You don't have money. Yes. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, yes, I bought to rub salt into his wounds of already having a one. I bought a Batman watch Sunday, uh, just a couple of days ago. Anyway, now I get to say like, what time is it? Same bat time as it was last time. It's just a o'clock. <laughs> just a o'clock. Parents are dead. Oh, thirty. <laughs> This is what time it is in Gotham City. It's always midnight. But uh, actually, I was talking about your recent purchase of a treadmill. Oh, yes. Well, purchase. I did not purchase it. You stole it, didn't you? I got it for free. Uh, not stealing. Um, we trade. Well, we didn't trade. Uh, I guess we did trade. The government gave you that treadmill. <laughs> my, my Obama treadmill. <laughs> Thanks, Obama. Goddamn Michelle Obama fitness plan. <laughs> it's got her on the side of it, Michelle Obama. Let's move or else. Um, but no, I got this from a, uh, a neighbor who lives uh, a little bit away from us, uh, older fella who wanted to get rid of a treadmill. And he pretty much said, if you can cart it out, you can have it. So me, PJ, and my father went over there. We carted it out and we got to have it. Did not pay a single dime, which apparently makes sense now because I believe I have broke it. <laughs> I think I broke the street bill. Just backing up for a second, I love how many times in my life I've seen that scene play out. The redneck Excalibur. If you can move this piece of <laughs> junk from my front lawn, it is yours forever. I feel like that is like to me the ultimate like throwback to like the barter trade system of the Stone Age. You know, you're you're trading labor for goods, you know. What I love is that apparently this is a recurring uh, thing that happens in Matt's life because as the resident belt historian... Oh, no. No, no, you can't take history from me. Matt history. (laughs) I'm the listener of the tapes. Matt has received a piano and an organ. Not a similar method. I forgot about that. So people are just giving you shit. What is the connection? What is the universe trying to tell you? It gives you a piano, then an organ, then a treadmill. Are you destined to become the Phantom of the Opera? <laughs> I guess it's trying to get you into Gerard Butler shape. <laughs> well, as you mentioned it, I just saw there was a list in for you know anyone who wants to take away uh, half a mask from a front lawn. I can do that. Uh, that actually makes me, re- reminds me that at my old house, we got our fridge because someone didn't want it and we volunteered to take it away. <laughs> Wait. Wait. Who, who says like, I have this fridge that is perfectly fine. I don't want it. The lady she worked, she worked with my mom at the time and they were getting another fridge and she was asking around if anybody wanted a fridge and, I don't know if you know this about my mom, but she doesn't pass up an offer when she sees a good one. And that's what she said. She said, you know what? We could use a fridge, so we'll take it. And we took it. I don't buy that. I think you actually are in the possession of a haunted fridge. You just open up the freezer and a hand comes out of the ice cubes. Ooh. We did have it exercised, one of our first things. Uh, Maybe that's what I should have done with that treadmill. It would have given a long longevity. A cursed treadmill. Also, I can beat that story. A couple of years back, my family received a refrigerator from a crackhead who had stolen it that evening <laughs> in exchange for crack money. Jesus. And that was a damn fine refrigerator. <laughs> 
So where did he steal it from? Did, did like I mean, so you just pretty much your your family they committed a felony receiving stolen goods as a felony, James. They were they disavowed all knowledge. But here's the thing that has always fascinated me. I had never seen this dude before myself. Mm-hmm. At the time, we were living out in the middle of the woods with no houses around us, just surrounded by woods on all sides. So a crackhead with a refrigerator just appeared out of the mist, wanting to barter with us. Well, the legends say that he only comes to people in their time of need. The mythical crackhead of Alabama. (laughs) I just feel like that was some kind of monkey's paw situation. Like, yes, I will give you this refrigerator, and it will grant all of your fondest wishes, but at a terrible price. We were like, hell yeah, we got some popsicles we want to put up in that bitch. <laughs> to be fair, now that I'm thinking about it, like maybe this fridge that Matt got a couple of years ago is what led to the downfall of his treadmill because traded <laughs> one for another. When was this? When was this fridge acquired? This was roughly six or seven years ago. Okay, I was making sure because I didn't know if this was the same person that we got our fridge from. I doubt it though. It's possible. It's possible. It's just been in circulation because we we lost it within the next year. How do you lose a fridge? Please, we lost the entire house, Matt. Oh, that was how quickly that monkey's paw unfurled on our asses. I like to think that this fridge is like the puzzle box from Hellraiser. Like it floated around until it met you. <laughs> What's your pleasure, sir? And you were like wings. We don't have our fridge anymore, too, because we lost the house as well. So, say it's Wait. a fucking cursed refrigerator. Well, in my defense, though, the I don't know when, how long it took you to lose the fridge, but it took me, our, us, like three years. Oh, with us, it was less than six months. Uh. Now, see, not to interject, but when you guys say that you lost your respective fridges, I just imagine like you go out with your families for like a Sunday drive <laughs> or something. And you and you drive out and you're you're in the country and you go to find like you you're going back to where you live except you can't find where you live you <laughs> literally lose your own house because you just never found it. Where I thought you were going with is that we like went to a picnic and took the refrigerator. <laughs> then we were halfway home. We're like, no. And then we we have to walk across the town with like, have you seen this fridge? Flyers, you know. Reward. <laughs> they found that fridge in the bottom of the river. <laughs> it had all of the freon just ripped out of it. They sell that show on the black market for thirty dollars a gallon. The police found its plug just sitting in the grass. <laughs> oh, that fridge was the best of us. And that's why it's cursed. That's why it's coming back and wreaking of revenge on all the people I care about because we left it behind. Believe it or not, that is not the only uh, item that we've purchased from crackheads over the years. So I, I want to say no, but I mean, from what I've learned of you these past four years, I'm like, well, I can see it. The, What'd you buy? The computer chair I'm currently looking at was purchased at a very reputable. Uh, Crack Dan. Very rep- reputable uh, southern institution known as Meth Mart. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're saying. What's the story behind Meth Mart? Well, thereby hangs a tale. See, for most of my childhood in the area around Wilmer, which is the seedy side of Sims, like that's our cousin that we don't really speak about, and it's always awkward when he comes over on Thanksgiving. 
Now, in Wilmer, there was a gentleman's club known at the time of my discovery of it, Club Outer Limits. <laughs> now, this club was next to a gas station on one side and a trailer park on the other. That was known as a Twilight Zone junk. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually Night Gallery. And I say it was called Club Outer Limits when I knew it because this is one of those institutions where the name changed every time someone was stabbed there. And that was frequent. So after a while, I just lost count until eventually they just closed it down and all of the meth heads that would commune there were like left without a place to go. And you know that scene in Dawn of the Dead where they're looking out, the zombies returning to the mall, and they're like, what brings them here? Some kind of memory? This was important to them. It was kind of like that, where meth heads were just showing up around the former strip club with nothing to do. So after a relatively short amount of time, a bit of a community was set up with these club outer limits expatriates, and they began hawking their ill-gotten wares out in front of the abandoned building. And this became known as Meth Mart. It's like they have their own Midian. (laughs) Kinda, kinda. And frequent visits in my family were made to Meth Mart because with an institution like that, you can't really rely on items being there the next time you go. It's the the ultimate one-day sale. Oh, yeah. It's like, I stole this 20 minutes ago. Please buy it so I can get some of that sweet, sweet white pony. And that's where I bought the computer chair that I have had for the past eight or so years for the price of $6. Now, question. Is the computer chair one that you have been happy with? It's held up longer than you would think it would, but when I bought it, it had no padding, and it has even less than no padding now, so I've always just put a pillow on top of it. I was going to say, like, do you have, like, spinal problems now or something? Uh, I don't sit in it anymore. What do you uh, do? I just, I, I just compute from my bed. So, um, once again, like, this subject of inanimate objects just haunting you guys. James has a computer chair that just sits inanimately in the middle of his room, just there. Knowing. Just being haunted by the man who was killed for it. Possessing all the souls of the bottoms that have graced it. <laughs> ghost butt. Um, I want to I want to ask a few follow up questions if I could about the meth mart because this is something that fascinates me. <laughs> this idea of like a Roman like junker community of drug addicts. It is like most Isley in a weird way. Uh, yeah, a hive of scum and villainy. Um, it's like like you said, H. Patriots. My first thought was like it's like a southern geeked out Casablanca. People looking for something and stuck in their current situation. There's a, almost a rugged individual romanticism about that. But they're all meth heads, so maybe maybe that's not the most appropriate metaphor. Well, there's still Nazis there, just. Uh-huh. <laughs> the, the neo variety. Um, how often? When's the last time you went, James? Well, that's the thing. Meth Mart sadly is no more Aww. as of a couple of years ago. All too soon. Uh, since they were never legally there, they were just squatters. <laughs> <laughs> and the organization wasn't run by anyone in particular. It was just a bunch like, of people like shrugging you, their sold shoulders and saying, are we doing this? Yeah, I guess we're doing this. I like that you call it an organization because I just want to see like the boss of Sam's come in. All right, now, Meth Mart's mine. 
It is almost, if you think about it, it is almost the perfect model of capitalism. People who are desperate to make profit steal from other people to make their profit and offer low, low prices no matter who gets hurt. So I think well, that, fair, that, that's they, America in, in a nutshell. Yeah, I was going to say, that is basically how every big business started. Epilogue, though, after Methmark cleared out, that facility was briefly converted to a seafood restaurant. <laughs> and that went as well as you could imagine. It really doesn't help whenever the restaurant you're eating in has drains in the floors. Or, you know, what they're serving is actually like 50% people. Did you, did you eat there, James? Fuck no, I didn't eat there. What was it called? Big Creek Restaurant. <laughs> it was later revealed that Big Creek Restaurant was actually a front for a criminal organization. Are you serious? Are you fucking with me? Don't, nope. Don't, they were don't laundering money through there. What criminal organization? Was it the Dixie Mafia, James? Uh, drug people. That's all. <laughs> oh, yes. The drug people cartel. <laughs> of America. The hopheads. <laughs> Goddamn hopheads are at it again. Led by Walt Drugman. God damn you, reefer fiends. I want, I want, before, before we move on, I want to say this. Apparently it gets good reviews on Yelp. <laughs> <laughs> it got three reviews, four reviews, two of them were four star, one was three, and one gave it a five star. I assume this guy was definitely. What was the most recent one say? So? Uh, how can you go wrong with all you can eat catfish? We don't even look at the menu, just went with some classic southern cuisine. Fried pickles, hush puppies, coleslaw, big cat, fish fillets, and sweet tea. Uh, then they added a very cringeworthy uh, comment, uh, considering the times winning is what they put. Uh, service was very good as well. Re- recommend a slight early lunch, or you'll probably be waiting for a table. I think they were confused with another restaurant. <laughs> but that flight of fancy aside... That was a fascinating look into the, the criminal underworld of Mobile County. How has your month been, Matt? <laughs> well, I can tell you. How has your month been now that I've talked about my life? <laughs> I haven't engaged in any, any criminal enterprises, but the month's not over with. Mostly it's been school stuff. I've been having to deal with, I got a pain in the ass teacher. Probably the worst teacher I've ever had. Like, I mean, even including like public school teachers. My teacher, I've got a biology class this year, and he is the absolute worst kind of teacher that you could ever have. Um, especially with something like biology. The subject is already pretty, it can be dense if you're not, you know, good with science and stuff like that. And then I figured out why his class is so bad, uh, just a couple weeks ago. He worked part time at the school. Like, he only had, like, we're his only class. Tuesdays and Thursdays. He doesn't come to the school at all, except for Tuesdays and Thursdays. Has no other classes. Has a full-time job at work and goes to school himself. So we're like right down on the bottom list of his priorities. Like all, everything. Wait, wait, wait. So in addition to teaching you, he's also going to school himself. What are you, like some kind of extended field trip? <laughs> I think, I think he, I think he's going for his doctorate, which means God help us all. Um, well, I just like the idea of this being his internship. <laughs> Question, are you on a mission now to out-biology this biology professor? No, I'm just hoping I can get through this class with a C, because all my tests have been horrible. Like, I haven't made higher than, like, a 78 on any test, and tests are worth 60% of our grade. Like, he just busts you on a question in the middle of the class, and you're like, I have no idea what's inside my body. (laughs) I might be made out of dirt, I don't know. 
I don't know anything anymore. You get your pencil and just start cutting open your wrists. What is this? The only thing I've retained so far from this is that, I don't know if you guys know this, but mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. One question down, 79 more to go. I've already forgotten that. Oh, I, I spent all last week writing a paper for that class. I had to write a 12-page paper on DNA. Okay, could you just like do a transcript of the Mr. DNA sequence from Jurassic Park? I did paraphrase, like, DNA is the building block of life from that. It's called DNA. Where did you come from? <laughs> Parentheses. Your blood! Then you cut open your wrists and bleed all over the paper. What is this? <laughs> you joke, but I actually actually did bleed on an essay. <laughs> Wait. Wait, what? Tonight I had to, to submit it to the uh, – I had to turn it in, the paper. Um, and as I was stapling it, the stapler – one of the staples got stuck in the paper. It was that thick. And I had to pull the staple out, and while I was pulling out, I cut my finger on, on the staple, and I dropped blood on the cover sheet. So You tried to grease the wheels by giving a sample of your own biology. Exactly. Wait, wait, like, when you said that, I thought, like, is this biology professor that you're having a lot of trouble with, like, is he just Dracula? Does he need your contract, like, written in blood? <laughs> That's what I, I had that thought when I saw the blood. I was like, maybe this means I'm getting a, the contract has been sealed. <laughs> yeah, what this means is your professor is going to think you're a serial killer, because he's going to open that up and see... <laughs> I told him, I said, if you're not squeamish, I've got blood on my, my, uh, my paper. He said, oh, well, you must, uh, you put your all into it then, didn't you? Is what he said. I was like, yeah, uh, bye. And I left. Well, it doesn't help that you also have the join or die tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, is this some crazed ex-con who's coming to menace me for passions? <laughs> oh, but about the paper, you, you'll, you'll love this. I was able to stretch out a couple pages talking about DNA and the history of DNA, James. I was able to work history in there. I got to work in some references to an English king, Richard III, and Warren G. Harding. I got to talk about him, my favorite shitty president. (laughs) Uh, The bishop of presidents. I don't know if you two know that, but um, he fathered a child uh, with a woman about 30 years younger than him, right before he was elected president. And his people always denied that it was his kid, despite, you know, the insistence from the lady that it was her, it was his daughter. Well, I guess about 10 years ago, they actually did DNA testing on both bodies and found out, yep, that's his kid. So I was like, fucked with his legacy 100 years after he died. <laughs> Fuck you, Warren G. Harding. I just like that there were a precursor to the birthers. But yeah, I turned it in tonight, and we'll see what happens. Uh, school... We'll see whether the blood has enacted the rights. To- Please. I may not get an A on it, but then suddenly the, the teacher dies under mysterious circumstances, and we're all given A's in the class. You see mysterious blue flame in the classroom. I'm just imagining he pulls out the report. All of a sudden, this figure rises up. <laughs> Mr. DNA, where did you come from? Your <laughs> blood. He's never heard from again. <laughs> I was kind of hoping you were going to say it was Warren G. Harding that come out from the paper. Well, apparently his grave has been disturbed, so imagine he <laughs> does want vengeance. My God, this biology professor was found fucked to death. Who could have done this? This has an illegitimate baby pop out of his chest like an alien. <laughs> Jesus. 
Immediately, an Illuminati group seeks to find the Mini Harding to groom him <laughs> as a Manchurian candidate. <laughs> that becomes the omen. History. Um, outside of school, I had uh, some interesting thing happened to me just the other day. Oh. Uh, yeah. Um, Speaking of romance. <laughs> Speaking of illegitimate childs and chestbursters. Um, Speaking of blood. <laughs> yes, I, I, Sunday, this past Sunday, the day I, watched, I bought my Batman watch. Which, <laughs> the two are related, as you'll find out. I went on a date. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, who'd you go on a date with, Matt? It was a, a young lady I have met on the internet. <gasps> wait, wait, wait. Your grinder profile worked out. Well, you know, it got to the point where I was like, let me try grinder just so that way I could have someone actually talk to me. <laughs> I am apparently a bear. Why do all the men on the site look like James? <laughs> James, are you an otter? Well, it says you are. <laughs> um, yeah, what, well, I guess what, eight or ten months after I said, I was going to try to go on a date or do something uh, as one of my New Year's resolutions. Um, not a moment too soon. It seemed like it, it worked out. Yes, uh, I found a young lady over the, the web app called Tinder, and we talked for a couple of days and asked her out on a date. And we went on that date Sunday. What'd you guys do? We had dinner. Uh, <laughs> we ate... <laughs> We had breakfast food. At, uh, uh, I swear to God, I thought you were going to say, we went to the meth park. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I bought her a nice shoe. <laughs> Only cost me 50 cents. Um, no, we, we ate breakfast food at a Cracker Barrel. She lives... Whoa, how south of you. I know. Well, see, the thing, though, James. She's not from the south originally. <gasps> Cavorting with a Yankee. She's from around Boston. The ultimate Yankee. <laughs> um, but yeah, we we ate at the Cracker Barrel. Um, she she was living in Aiken, South Carolina, at the moment. That's about 40, 40 miles, forty four to five miles away from where I'm living now. Um, and after we ate, had dinner, we went <laughs> not we went to the next best thing of Meth Mart. We went to Walmart. <laughs> And like to see the sights, or we, we just—I mean, we walked around Walmart for like an hour and a half talking. Um, I found my Batman watch at the Walmart. That's where I bought it, and I could—and you like this—I convinced her to buy the first two seasons of Inside Amy Schumer. <laughs> um, and I did—I made sure not to talk about history too much. I talked about. <laughs> You talked about the history of Walmart. <laughs> See, I just, I just imagine you as like this turn of the century baron, like walking with his lady among the poor's. Look at all this. All this will be yours one day. I'll raise you out of the slums and make a woman out of you. You'll be happy to know, James, that I mentioned you <sighs> at one point. We were going to Walmart. I said, I have a friend who works at a Walmart down in Alabama. And then you laughed for 20 minutes. <laughs> and she was like, you mean the, the cautionary Lewis who worked at Winn-Dixie? I was like, the one in the same. Um, but no, I just said that you worked at a Walmart and you told me some very disturbing stories. Um, and I, I said, I understand people here are crazy. Um, and I understand it's Walmart, but I don't think, I said, down there it seems to me there's a whole nother type of crazy. Once again, you were not in a Walmart in Alabama. <laughs> I consider the day a success because I managed to get a second date. Hey. 
And that is actually happening tomorrow, guys. Jesus. Nice. I, and you're, and you're up late talking to us two losers. Oh. Well, I've got to make some time for the, for the common man. I've got to slow. that wool wearing your petticoat. And the plan for tomorrow is to eat lunch at a, at a pizza place. And go to Kmart. <laughs> no, not go to Kmart. <laughs> you would never see her again. That would be so spooky. Like, Matt, there's nobody here. <laughs> she just grabs you. <laughs> I'm scared. Let's get Someone comes out from like behind one of the uh, one of the aisles and offers you a fridge. <laughs> it's yours if you can take it. For the love of God, I take it. No, Mary Beth, it's not worth your soul. Um, get me out of this carnival of horrors, Matt. <laughs> God damn you. Um, no, but the the plan tomorrow is to eat lunch, and then from there we're <laughs> we're going to go to a museum. <laughs> You're just going to walk around with your hands in your pockets, going, "Yep, that's about right." Uh, I like how you're doling out the true, like, facets of your personality, but in snippets. <laughs> that's, that's, isn't that what Dayton's supposed to be? You're going to try some way to calmly tell her that you are an historian. <laughs> I can't help it. I was born that way. <laughs> just imagine this, like, the scene in the Tim Burton Batman where you just come to her apartment and try to explain that you are a history man, and then Jack Nicholson bursts in. It's like, look, when you have breakfast in the morning, you know, who, who is it that you're having breakfast with? You know, the normal person. They get up, they go to a job. Me, I get up, I go to history. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it, woman, you knew this about me when you married me. It's our second date. Look, I get enough of this crap at the office. I don't need it when I come home. We're in a museum. So this is a dark tunnel into madness she's been exposed to in just a couple of hours. Like you, you, She gets the entire relationship in just two days. That's the mad experience. Years worth of baggage over a 48-hour period. Uh, you go to the food court and you just order a beer and then start reading the newspaper <laughs> and not speaking to her. Harumph, harumph. You know what you did. Okay. I have one question as far as the identity of this mystery woman goes. Is the identity of the woman you're dating the treadmill? (laughs) (laughs) No, but I will say that uh, related to the treadmill, it made me – I wanted to bring this back up, but – this is not related to any of this. I just wanted to point out the fact that this exists, and I bought it off Amazon and got a two-day shipping for it to come. When the treadmill was messed up, I bought off Amazon a bottle of treadmill lubricant. <laughs> <laughs> that is apparently a thing that people can use. I, I, I'm at a loss for words. Please tell me tomorrow you're going to invite her back to the house, and the first thing she's going to see on your counter is a gallon of treadmill lubricant. Don't be silly, James. It comes in like a 16-ounce bottle. But I made sure to hide that. Don't worry. (laughs) That just makes it worse. (laughs) Why is this in Matt's medicine cabinet? (laughs) I am both extremely happy and excited for you as a friend, and I do wish you the very best, but I'm also legitimately terrified for this woman. Uh, so am I. That makes two of us. I want to tell you something that I didn't think about, because it was an internet meet thing when we first got there. She got like three or four texts from like her friends and stuff, making sure she was okay. 
you know. See, that's something that fascinates me about the current state of dating because I've had friends who do online dating and they like said the exact same thing. It's like, oh, the date went okay. She had to answer a few texts from her friends to make sure I didn't murder her, but it was fine. Yeah, that's what that's what I told her. I said I completely understand. You know, I said I'm a guy. I know how fucked up guys are. Um, it's just fascinating to think that the price of poker has been raised up to the point where a date is life or death now. By contrast, I didn't have anybody ask about me. People knew I was going on a date, but no one said, oh, you'll be okay. No. But then again, I'm a guy, so. It's like, good, I hope he stays gone. I hope he's killed in that Walmart. Because <laughs> you said something to the effect that, you know, what if, what if I'm a serial killer? I said, don't be ridiculous. Where are the eyes that were both serial killers? And then you penned a letter entirely in your own blood with your prison <laughs> tattoos visible. A 12-page essay on DNA with my own blood. I like the idea of her asking you what you're currently studying. Well, right now I'm taking a class in biology. The things that are inside of us. <laughs> Will you help me learn about biology? <laughs> then you cut open your wrist. What is this? What is this inside of me? And that was when she accepted a second date. So. <laughs> exactly. You know she's a keeper. If you can slit your wrist and bleed out from someone and they still want to see you, that's love right there. Well, me and the rest of the Delt Army wish you all luck in the world, Matt. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's my life, I guess. That's been my life, James. Now, we've got some more stuff we want to get into in a little bit, but I would be remiss if I did not ask our guest... Uh, to share a couple of stories from the recent job hunt he's been engaging on. And yes, this is another edition of The Labors of Alex Cook. Yeah, I've uh, previously on Below the Bible Belt. <laughs> Last time. I was in the process of escaping from the House of Savings. Which you did masterfully, sir. Mwah. I did. I, in that I, you know, put in my two weeks, worked those full two weeks, and then left and never went back. And once I did that, things were... Well, nothing really happened. Uh, it it kind of went slow for about, I would say, a good four to five months. Uh, I left uh, August of last year and didn't get another job until this January of this year. And the reasoning for that was that I had worked such an intense schedule for four months. And it, I know that sounds weird, but you have to understand, working third shift at Walmart... Oh, oh! As as we went into the last episode, you were pretty much in hell week for four months. Yeah, it, it was like I had given myself to a coal mine. There was no more Alex anymore. It was a very traumatic time for us all. Yeah, I I I forgot my own identity for a while. I I was roaming the countryside. It was a whole thing. <laughs> By the way, I should probably point out again for those who don't remember, this was my very first job ever, like ever. This this was my entryway into the life of the working man. No one's first time should be Walmart. 
it shouldn't be Walmart at third shift either. It's it's it just, it just you went from the cold snow to the fires of hell. Yeah, and after that time, I, th- I think rather understandably, I said to myself, "Okay, I need about a month to collect myself because." I had lost a good portion of what made me me, just mentally, physically. Like, I had lost a good 20 pounds from that job, which, you know, good, but it was like losing a part of myself that just... You had worked for that pudge for many years. You earned it. Yeah, and if they thought they could take that away from me, they were mistaken. You just walked out of Walmart and immediately went to the McDonald's next door. (laughs) Give me 50 Big Macs. You just throw your last paycheck on the table. I did have a weird moment uh, the day that I left Walmart where I I think I had some like other prior engagement. And after I went to do that, I immediately went to a Mexican restaurant and just – Sat there, just staring at my meal, just realizing, wow, I am unemployed now. Question. And then I smiled. (laughs) What what did you eat? Uh, It was a Mexican restaurant, so... Well, I mean, I assume some sort of shell tortilla. Uh, Yeah, well, I had two large soft tacos and Mexican rice, so... Was this actually a Mexican restaurant or was this Taco Bell? Let's be clear. No, it was a real, like, straight-up Mexican restaurant. Good, good. I was going to say no one should ever be in a Taco Bell at that emotional (laughs) part in their life. Well, here's the weird thing. One of the most genuinely horrible parts about that job was I had two options every night in terms of what my lunch would be because I didn't like the idea of bringing my lunch because I tried it and it just meant that I had to spend more time in the store. And once you're in that store in the late hours of the night, you will do anything to get out for any amount of time. It's like prison in the weirdest sense. So... I would always walk to either Steak and Shake or Taco Bell, which were the local walking distance restaurants that were open late at night. I've eaten Taco Bell pretty consistently from childhood onwards. It's my favorite restaurant. I won't make any excuses for that. I just love it. I spent four months eating Taco Bell basically every other night. And even I had a limit. <laughs> that, that is what that job did to you. It took Taco Bell from you. That's when I realized something was wrong. When I looked at Taco Bell and I said, that is unappetizing. I realized I had become a shell of myself. And I said, no more. No more of this crunchy shell. That uh, weird Taco Bell flight of fancy aside. I finally left Walmart in August. And said to myself, well, I'll take a month off, you know, just kind of get my bearings, kind of, you know, catch up with the guys, uh, uh, play some video games, like just, just have a lot of leisurely time to it's myself. Some me time, right. Yeah. Then the next month rolled around and I was like, huh, gotta get that job. Well, I don't see anything. Uh, I guess next month, maybe. Then the next month roll. Let, let me, let me, let me tell you something. This, this font that it seems like you're, you were starting to go through. I can very much identify with that font because I was in the same spot where, uh, a week turned into two, turned into a month, turned into <laughs> nearly five years. Well, to be fair, you were holding out for that professor position. That's true. That, that, I think that was part of my problem was that I kind of had my standards too high. I was trying to keep the DJ Scoop Johnson dream alive. Now you just showed up to job interviews saying, I will accept professor 
Ace Reporter or Robot? <laughs> See, that was actually my problem because the initial position that I sought post-Walmart was I wanted to be a crime-fighting vigilante, and there were no spots open for that. Well, you live in Seymour, Indiana, so what crime would you be fighting? I mean, you gotta go to Gary for that shit. Right? You you would still just be in Taco Bell every night <laughs> in a full Batman <laughs> pretty, costume. Yeah, pretty much. Well, to go to Gary, I would have to become RoboCop, and I, just, <laughs> I don't want to go through that. Well, I could do that, then that's that's a job where I could be a robot. Metallo Johnson is born. <laughs> <laughs> all man, all machine, all history. <laughs> but yeah, I um, what life was like was a lot of applying to random places, not getting any calls back, and eventually finding myself at the doors of a temp agency. This led to the rise of Blue Collar MB. The very short rise of Blue Collar MB. The long weekend of Blue Collar MB. I, uh, I found myself at the doors of a temp agency where I immediately found employment at a local factory that specialized in automobile headlights and taillights. I want to say that while you're while you're talking, I'm imagining like a, a Springsteen tune played in the background for whatever reason. Well, so I was born in a small town, so. But uh, yeah, I for about a month I had a very steady employment at a automobile factory, which is hilarious because I know absolutely nothing about cars. Hey, you're talking to the current manager of a pet department, <laughs> despite not owning animals. That, that reminds and having an aversion for all things that live, let's be honest. Um, Sunday when I went through that Walmart, I gotta say their pet department was very, very lackluster, James. They they could use a man like you and Ake in South Carolina. Oh, every pet department in other Walmarts I've gone to looks like shit. I've been tempted to snap photos and show my employers. This is what you could have. Oh, I will attest to the fact that my Walmart has a horrible pets department. I helped stock it for about four months. So. I've, walk, I've walked into Walmarts and just seen dog food piled up on the floor like a pile of shit with a price tag like stuck on the top. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I had uh, stayed with the automobile factory for about a month, and then things went awry. The factory was not in very good condition uh, managerially or in terms of structurally because they didn't really have a structure. They had four different factories that they were constantly in flux. They were moving around. And so I just – it wasn't a good time. So I sat down and I said to myself, okay, I'm not going to do a month this time. I'm just – I'm going to immediately go on to find work. One of the stops that I made, because at about August, I kind of had this sort of breakthrough moment where I kind of stopped everything, like everything going on in my life. I just kind of reassessed and said, no, this, this, I, I have to put all of this on hold because I can't just keep going on and on unemployed. So this you had a, an M breakthrough, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. You could say that. Um, I would say that you obviously wouldn't from the way you spoke, but that's fine. <laughs> Fuck you, that was clever. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I went to apply to various places, not the least of which was GameStop. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, you poor man. Power to the players, Alex. Now, to be fair, GameStop, while not a particularly ideal place to work for 
someone who who doesn't live in my town. Uh, GameStop is actually the closest I have to a store that would actually sell things I would be interested in. It's still in your wheelhouse, which is more than you can say about virtually any other employment opportunity. Yeah, and that's that's really what I needed, I felt like. So I went in there, and, you know, I perused the games for a minute while they dealt with another customer, and um, eventually worked my way up to the cash register and asked for a job application. You know, just standard stuff, didn't make a big deal about it. Not only was I told that they didn't have job applications printed out, but that they would print out applications tomorrow, and if I wanted to apply tomorrow, I could. They told me that they would not be hiring until November. I had to pre-order a position with GameStop. So what do you think the commission on a pre-ordered employee is for those guys? Like, that's got to be at least a full paycheck. What uh, what kind of bonuses do you get for pre-ordering employment? Do you get, like, an alternate shirt? I imagine you get a special unlockable price scanner gun. <laughs> I just like the idea of you getting the job and the guy who hired you just being, Alex, put this tank top on. No, it's my DLC. <laughs> It's sweaty, just covered in like all sorts of weird stains. Now twirl around. Come on, I paid good money for this. <laughs> There's a camera there for some reason. But still, this is not the weirdest experience you've had recently. No, I had to cycle through the depression that came through to find myself at a video store where I had sought employment a couple times, actually, in the past. And the video store, like, it was a job that kind of seemed ideal for me, honestly, because my main problem is that I'm very socially phobic. Um, I I was actually diagnosed as a kid with a uh, major social anxiety disorder, which I've worked to overcome for a very long time now. And one of the things that I kind of wanted to work to overcome with this video store job was to actually interact with customers to kind of face my fear. And deal with that head on because it would be a job where I would have had to work at a cash register all day, you know, field calls and uh, basically, I mean, upkeep the store, just just simple, basic cashier job. I went in for that uh, for an interview and the interview actually went fairly well. Uh, the dude was really nice. And then weeks went by and I just heard absolutely nothing. So I applied again and I got, you know, invited for another job interview. The guy took one look at me and then he kind of motioned me to come to the side of the cash register. Uh, uh, I thought, my first thought was, oh, oh my God, am I getting on the job training already? <laughs> this, Alex, is a cash register. You whip out your notepad. But, uh, no, that's actually not what happened. Um, I was pulled aside, and this dude basically told me that he was flat out not going to hire me at all. Mm. Now, I didn't inquire why. I didn't plan to say anything. I planned to just kind of let it be and, you know, just let bygones be bygones. But he went on to explain the reasoning, and I, the reasoning, he said, was that I was, quote, unreliable. The reason that I was, quote, unreliable was that I uh, had been at the Walmart job and left that job, and there was a several months gap where I wasn't employed. I went to the factory job. I left that job after a month. As I said, there was many more months between unemployment. His summation was that because I had left my jobs with full 
by the way, I should mention this. Full disclosure, I put in my two weeks notice at Walmart. I put in my week's notice at the other job at a temp agency where you're supposed to basically cycle through jobs. Because I had done this correctly, I was deemed unreliable. It's like almost you went from having no experience to too much experience now. I went from having experience to having negative experience. (laughs) That's the part I couldn't get over when you told me the story. If I'm not mistaken, didn't he say that it concerned him because you left these jobs without a backup job in place? Yeah, that was the thing. He kept saying, you gotta have a backup job. Gotta have a backup job. That was, that, like, he kept hammering home the fact that you have got to have a backup job. Keep in mind! mind. (laughs) Keep in mind, Walmart job was my first job. The temp agency was my second job. You were at Walmart, I've said this before, you were at Walmart the amount of time people stay at Walmart. Yeah, that's another thing is like, it's not like I just bolted and ran from Walmart. I stayed there, like, way longer than a lot of my co-workers. And for the temp job, you stayed there an acceptable temporary <laughs> period of time. And keep in mind, this could have all been settled with a phone call. Oh, yeah, that was the thing that got me, was that why would you invite me to personally come in to be told Just, that? I know, you mean... Face-to-face. By the way, this was... Uh, I. I found this out uh, as I was leaving. He said, oh, and uh, by the way, this is the uh, reason that I didn't hire you the first time. So he could have literally just called me the first time and told us. But that dude wanted you to come down to that video store so he could drop some wisdom on you. And this dude, by the way, I should probably stay um, not much older than me. <laughs> I, assume, I was going to assume that he was like, you know, a 20-year-old or something. Um, Early 30s, like something like that, but not not very. Like, how's that supposed to make somebody feel whenever an employer looks at your job history and is like, whoa, dude, sit down. We have to have an intervention. Yeah, that, that was very actually kind of traumatizing at first because I thought, does, does this mean I'm unhirable now? Like, I, I thought I had done everything right. What did I do wrong? What what code did I break? And my favorite part is, this is for a job at the last remaining video store in the United States. I actually get a kick out of telling people this. This video store that I applied to is within the uh, approximate destination of about three red boxes. So, yeah, this place is not going to be around that much longer. In fact, that's remained around this long is a miracle because we had a blockbuster in our town that lasted for all of a year. This place has been around since I was a teenager. See, this is my theory. I think this guy knows the end is coming, so he specifically wants to hire lifers, like people who have worked a job for 20 years (laughs) and were laid off due to the industry they were in not existing anymore, because he doesn't want any rats fleeing the sinking ship. He wants people to end it. Oh, I haven't even gotten into the fact that this place has the highest turnover rate of maybe any job in, I mean, any place of employment in our town. Because exactly. It is always hiring. Well, I'm pretty sure in the time that we've had this conversation, they've had three employees walk, walk in and out. It's very possible. But yeah, um, that was one place. That was at least one place where I could hold my head high and say, well, I tried. And strike, and strike that place from the list forever. 
and you were better for it, Alex. Um, I don't know about better. I'm still not employed. I'm very poor and don't have any money, so... Uh, <laughs> I guess that guy had the last laugh. Um, I will say, though, that is, she did a situation was at least you were told um, why you weren't hired. I interviewed at two different places, two different times over like a two or three year period span never heard back from them never knew why i mean i thought they're both all four of the interviews i went on i thought i did well but he has not tell me why you don't like me than just to pretend like that interview never existed tell me the darkness of my own soul yeah, I will admit that is a uh, silver lining. If there is a silver lining to be had from that situation, now you know what you need to approve upon. Become more reliable. Yes, I've been saying that to you for years, but all of a sudden, some guy in the video store says he's taking serious. This man has access to both DVDs and Blu-rays. He knows his shit. But enough about employment and romance and Batman. Mass hysteria, Matt and Alex. We're all in the middle of it. Yes, mass hysteria has gripped our fair nation and the world at large, and I assume some planet. Oh, Pluto is losing its shit right now. Ever since they made it not a planet, Pluto's been just off the fucking chain. Have you seen the price of oil on Pluto? <laughs> Outrageous. Just a couple of episodes. I proclaimed that for a brief moment in this country, there was... A rainbow in the storm of chaos and ignorance that we've been awash in so much lately. That there was a good week and a half where America made sense. And I believed that that was a feeling that we could ride at least until January. But one of the underlying laws of nature is that all forces will return to their original state. And like a goddamn rubber band, America snapped back into crazy. With full force, I might add. Like, not just, not just, it, it went back and then, then some. Like, it upped it. Let's, uh, I think your, your, your metaphor of rubber band is appropriate because rubber band doesn't just snap something back into place. It goes the extra mile. And we, it seems like we're going the goddamn extra mile. Oh, yeah. We split an atom and then the atom itself became several other atoms and amassed into one giant ball of crazy. I am talking, of course. About those fucking red cups at Starbucks. Yes. That's that's just one of the things. That is just a color that has nothing to do with Christmas. That is literally the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of America. Hashtag war on Christmas. They just look like solo cups. You know, the, the, the cups that you just get for picnics. Picnics and drinking parties if you watch movies. They just look so cheap. I mean, that that is the problem people have with them, right? I mean, if I pay $11 for a cappuccino, I want it to have Jesus on it. <laughs> I want to see Jesus drinking a frappuccino. With Santa Claus. High-fiving Frosted the Snowman, just like the Bible said he did. We probably shouldn't beat around the bush any longer. The ignorance and hatred... And insanity that we felt over the past few months in this country since the abolition of the Confederate flag and the anti-abolition of gay marriage, I'm going to make up that word right now, has been condensed into 
a single moment in our nation's history, and that is, of course, the presidential prospects <laughs> of Donald J. Trump. I like you throwing the J there. It makes it classy. A man who, might I add, was such a business tycoon in the early 90s that he had his own board game made after him. Can you say that, Obama? I don't think the presidents themselves can say that. That's what's weird. I do think they made a presidential monopoly one time. That is an offshoot. That doesn't count. Donald Trump literally made his own board game with his own rules. (laughs) And let me guess, rule one is Trump always wins. It's just an empty cardboard box. Like, the game is you gave money to Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Give me $500. Here you go. I win. Loser. Moral of the story, life is hard. Deal with it. Get out of here, kid. You're bothering me. We, we were talking about uh, Donald Trump just today, me and my brother, because I was telling, we were talking about the 2012 election. Now, when you watch the 2012 election, uh, there were, it was, it was, it was crazy as well. A uh, different type of crazy. Um, it seemed like, uh, a lot of front runners in that race, like, like one month, Michelle Bachman would be hot and then she'd say something stupid and she'd drop out of the race because people hated her. Then there was because, that witch for a while. <laughs> actually, she was running in the Senate. Uh, the witch was, uh, in 2009. But, um, then Herman Cain was the front runner and the people said, oh wait, he molests women and does sexual harassment. So he fell out. And then he quoted that Pokemon song. <laughs> <laughs> but with Trump, that's what's so infuriating. Nothing like he's like the way I can describe it is if Bruce Banner turned into a Hulk that fed on ignorant statements, uh, racist comments, and just general gaffes. It, it only it seems like every misstep only makes him stronger. There's nothing that he can say that seems to hurt him. You know, he could like he his, in his opening like statement. You know, when he announced he was running for presidency, he called all Mexicans murderers, rapists, and thieves, and they called John McCain a coward. And his numbers soared higher than they've ever been. You know, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Everything I know about politics and the way campaigns run, it just I can't understand it. Trump's uh, bid for presidency is like an overblown, really drawn-out census test of how crazy the American people truly are. Because every time this dude says or does anything relating to any sort of political matter whatsoever, you you almost get like this graph of how far we've come and how far we've fallen in terms of just morality, in terms of common sense, in terms of people who just don't really care, because this guy has an amazing amount of supporters. But I think what it is is it's the reaction of people getting fed up with politicians, um, because Trump is the exact opposite. He says, even though he's saying horrible, horrible, horrible things, he's saying them... And no one else is going to say him. You know, it, people don't care. It seems to me like people don't care exactly what he's saying. They just care that there's someone out there who's finally saying something, you know, with maybe even a degree of honesty to it, which, to be honest, brings up the questions that how much of this does Trump actually believe? Because you look at his record in like the 90s and stuff, he was an ardent supporter of the Clintons. So, you know, and he went on record many times as saying, in favor of these liberal causes, and now he's did a complete 180. 
um, running as a Republican and having these very conservative ideals. How much of this is actually true, which, you know, and how much of it is actually him just saying whatever it takes to get elected or to to get the votes, you know. And and it doesn't help that a large part of his election, a large part of his mission statement seems to almost be of a Glenn Beck variety, where it's like, Everything he's doing or saying almost is intentionally designed to rile up a section of the American people. It's it, it's like he chooses the wrong thing to say by intention. Well, Trump, for all his stupidity, has keyed in on something that every politician knows, but few have the soullessness to truly seize on, which is that if given the option in a time of fear and uncertainty, people will feed into their worst natures as much as you let them. Exactly. And we're in a time where the world is changing so much that while the majority is still, in my opinion, on the side of change and on the side of for lack of a better term, peace, love, and understanding. We have a very loud majority that's being riled up. And that's what is disturbing about the Trump campaign is it's essentially the reverse of the Obama campaign. You're right. Trump is going out and energizing people who would not normally vote. He is energizing a section of the American people that isn't normally politically active. And those people are crazy people. Oh, there are plenty of crazy people who are politically active. It's just these type of people usually have fringe candidates that they tend to vote for and support. Now, Trump and, to a lesser extent, Ben Carson has brought the fringe into the mainstream. Now they're marginalizing guys like... Jeb Bush and Marco Rubio, who would be the mainstream candidate, you know. Well, there are – I feel like there's a good ch- chunk of people who have zero interest in politics and despite their own conservative leanings would never go out of their way to vote that still see this TV star <laughs> out there saying things they agree with and they think, oh – I want to see that guy in the White House. These other politicians who might believe the same thing, I don't give a shit about, but I want to do the political version of following him on Facebook. I do wonder how much of this is a side effect of what's been going on more and more in this country when it comes to the idea of celebrity. You know, now, like, the idea of celebrity is, is encroached upon everything. Now it's, you know, it, people argue that, you know, guys like Reagan and Schwarzenegger kind of had that, uh, previously, but I think that they're a different case than, um, than someone like Trump, who, you know, is, like you said, the reality TV star, you know. Now these guys are getting into politics and it's starting to blur the line between entertainment and politics, um, which to be fair, that's been coming for a while now. Um, but it just seems like it's blurring it to where it's making politics even worse than it normally is. Well, it's taking the gamesmanship of politics that was nasty enough already and making it, turning it from a game to a game show. Yeah. Now it's spin the giant wheel to see who's president. And that's why I like, I feel like the 
proliferation of the internet and this sort of uh, things like social media and uh, the internet for funding and stuff has helped not just Trump, but all these other, like what the two dozen other people who are all running currently for the Republican nomination, that they're all able to maintain these campaigns because of their very niche social media followings. Um, they're able to convince donors and stuff that, you know, that they can, uh, either become president or become the nominee just based on this minute evidence that they have through the internet that, you know, 10, 20 years ago they wouldn't have because the mainstream media would sort of control the narrative and these guys wouldn't see anything about them, you know? And, but now with the internet and stuff and the constant need to fill the 24 hour news cycle, they're constantly talking about Lindsey Graham or, you know, Bobby Jindal or, or, you know, all these other people who in any other election wouldn't have a shot in hell. Well, I want to kind of interject my personal theory interject. on what exactly makes Trump so uh, – I, I don't know how to put this – makes him a real candidate to some people, which I use that term very lightly because the thing seems like a giant cartoon from the outset, but – what scares me the most about Donald Trump and the prospect of Donald Trump as president, you know, beyond the racism, beyond the bigotry, beyond the blatant, the blatant homophobia and the blatant sexism like you were talking about. I, I, I do want to say that after given a particular tough question in a debate, he claimed that the female moderator was on her period, and people just ate that shit up that he said that, you know? Like, he's defended hate crimes and gotten cheers for it. Yeah. And uh, not to mention the countless times he has threatened to deport people. Uh, just people from all walks of life. It's kind of insane. Oh, he's flat out said, if I'm president, no more immigrants. Well, there was the most recent thing, which is that he wants to have Muslim Americans have a special ID card for their citizenship. You know, the same way that in Germany, the Jews were forced to wear stars on their lapels. Oh, yeah. The, the blatant comparison to Nazism has been a huge thing that has come out of this, which, to be fair, is actually a good thing because it allows people to see just how insane and evil this dude actually is because, make no mistake, he is evil. You talked about the comparisons to Nazis. I want to just bring this up real quick. Um, one of the last debates, Trump talked about how his immigration plan was very similar to a plan that the Eisenhower administration did uh, in the mid-50s to deal with uh, a score of, of legal immigrants. This um, is not necessarily something that you want to idolize because this, this uh, plan was very uh, controversial because it had a lot of civil rights violations. A lot of people were hurt by overzealous border agents and other federal governments. And it was also called, just, just to give you some insight into the thing, Operation Wetback. That's what it was called. And this is what Trump was saying his plan is very similar to. And I'm, I'm just, sure he would cite it as a source if he could. He but, did. Uh, oh, he did. Well, yeah. There. The thing that scares me the most about the prospect of him being a president and the fact that people just seem to eat up everything he does and treats everything he touches like it's made of gold or whatever. I mean, there are things that he touches that are made of gold, but, you know, he made them because he's a rich asshole. He shaped them in the shape of a giant T. 
The thing that scares me is that Trump, at his core, is a businessman. What that means is that he comes from a cutthroat world, a cutthroat society in which you are taught intruistically to never back down on anything you say or do for fear of weakness, for fear of signs of weakness. That is where I think the division between Trump and some other candidates actually lies, because I feel like, like you said with the 2012 election, there were a lot of candidates that put their foot in their mouth and essentially got themselves you know, kicked out of the campaign by being what Trump is being. The difference is that Trump is stubborn enough because he comes from a world of business that I feel like nothing he says or does will ever hurt his ego or damage his own reflection of himself to the point where he'll ever back down. I don't think that's going to happen. I feel like the only way to really dismantle him at this point is for the Republican Party not to explicitly not nominate him. And the way things are going, there's a legitimate possibility that may, that may not actually happen. And that is terrifying because Trump, for all intents and purposes, is a real-life supervillain. <laughs> Um, you mentioned about him getting the nomination. See, this is sort of, I feel like, one of the problems um, with how presidential primaries are done um, now here in America used to be they did primaries just for the hell of it. Like, they didn't have any effect on who actually won, who got nominated because everything was decided at the convention by the delegates and stuff. Now, in an effort to make things more tied to democracy, um, if you win a primary, you win those that state's delegates at the convention. Um, there are a bunch of rules and regulations tied to it. But for the most part now, the, like with the presidential election, the people are deciding who's going to be their who, who will be their candidate. And that's maybe not always a good thing because I feel like the delegates who went to the the Republican convention stuff, there's no way in hell they would choose Donald Trump. But now with it tied to a popular vote like it is, it sort of has forced their hand to have to vote for him even if they don't agree with him, you know. Where's the thing, and this uh, speaks to my personal greatest fear with this, and that's that, uh, to turn back the clock a, a minute, looking back at the 2012 election, at no point did anyone ever get the impression that Donald Trump wanted to be president. Like, it was obvious from the outset it was a bullshit publicity stunt for his show. Mm-hmm. And I think Trump was surprised by how much genuine support he got, because I mean, like you said, he was just pretty much saying what the other candidates were saying, but with zero bullshit. Hey, I hate black people and immigrants. And I think armed with that knowledge, Trump has gone into this election with no real intent on actually becoming president. I think the game he's playing here is he's energizing all of these people towards the Republican Party. He's creating this frothing fever. Also, he can then pull out of the election for personal reasons and then give his recommendation to the real candidate who is going to have all of that Trump crazy then thrown on him. And then that man becomes the next president. So you're saying, oh my god, you know what this means based on what you're saying? He is the anti-Bernie Sanders. Yep. The evil Bernie Sanders. I knew it. 
Um, you guys it is just, weird how diametrically opposed those two candidates are, considering. Um, you do bring up an interesting conspiracy theory that I've heard that uh, Trump is actually a plant, that he's working for the Clintons to make the Republican Party look so bad that Hillary will win in a landslide. I don't even think it's as ridiculous as that. I think it's just who's the biggest friend uh, to big business out there, a Republican president. <laughs> so if Trump has his way, not only will there be another Republican in the White House, but one who owes him favors. My favorite theory, uh, another conspiracy theory, that somewhere in some back room all the strings are being pulled, uh, and when Trump seems out of control, the Republican Party will turn to their white knight. They will look towards the mountains of Utah. <laughs> And out will come Mitt Romney on his white horse to save the Republican Party once more. He's pulling like some diabolical house of cards shit to run in Trump as a dummy candidate to scare everybody to, you know, please Mitt, we need you. Like, all right. Golly gosh, I guess I'll do it. Did somebody say abortions? <laughs> But like I told my brother, I said I don't I don't see Mormons as being that devious or conniving to pull that off. But stepping away from Trump for a moment, as dire as this stuff seems, uh, the optimist in me still wants to say that these are just the screams of a dying age. Not that we're like entering some kind of age of enlightenment or anything like that, but things are always ugliest when the last generation of bigots is dying. Uh, we saw that during the civil rights movement. We saw it during the 90s. We're seeing it again now. Like The old guard of hate is being struck down, so they're making their death as loud and violent as possible like a wounded bear trying to uh, take a hunter's eyes with him as he falls and that's just going to be replaced with new hatred and new bigotry but i, mean, I see this like, there was a recent story uh here in alabama where <gasps> they closed down a significant number of driver's license offices all throughout the state claiming budget cuts which was uh, a reasonable claim considering that Alabama and Mobile County in particular is undergoing a catastrophic budget problem and has for quite some time due to the fact that we're fucking Alabama and we have no tourist money <laughs> and no industry and no anything really you guys don't even have a sports team. Really. We have the Bay Bears. I think the Mobile Mystics might still be going. Who knows? Like I said, you guys don't have a sports team. <laughs> what do the Mystics play? What? 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 They were our hockey team. Oh, well, a hockey team in Alabama. I mean, of course they're packing the seats. Hey, Jamaica, we got a bobsled team. <laughs> That sounds reasonable, but then you look at the locations where they were shut down, and it's roughly 75% the predominantly black areas of Alabama. I heard about this. It was like, yeah, we don't need those guys having IDs. Yeah, because you don't think you mentioned it, but Alabama, like South Carolina and a lot of southern states, They've changed the voter laws now to where in order to vote 
in an election, you have to have a picture state-issued ID, um, either driver's license or a picture ID, like I said, issued by the state. And for a lot of people, um, black people, uh, who maybe don't have a driver's license, this, the DMV was their only resource to get a license to vote. And they're kind of in a very sneaky way, which, again, if you, if you read your history, you'll see the South is probably the best when it comes to sneaky oh, racism. Totally. That's no what, one. That's what I was going to say. I mean, if this were anywhere else, I would say, okay, let's, let's take a good hard look at this. Cause let's not jump to any conspiracy theories, but it's Alabama screwing over black people as our national pastime. Because I don't know if you know this, but just a couple of years ago, um, the Supreme court repealed the voter rights act of 1965. Um, that had the Justice Department given oversight to the southern states when it comes to uh, franchising uh, minorities and stuff. And now, after they've uh, repealed the Voter Rights Act, then just a few short years later, this comes out, you know. So it's very, you know, messed up that they're doing this. And it's one of those situations where it's like, okay, worst case scenario, it's – a conspiracy to undermine the voting rights of black citizens in this state. Best case scenario, it is a budget situation, but they decided to pull the plug on resources for the black community because who cares they're black? Like there, there's no good spin on this. It's a lose-lose situation. Um, and then actually, I don't know if, if you had anything else you wanted to talk about, but I had something I wanted to mention that relates to sort of both these topics uh, that we've talked about. It relates to uh, presidents and races. Take it away, Matt. And another edition of It Came from the South. Came from the South. For those of you who don't know, and the people who don't know obviously include the Augusta Historical Society, the 27th President of the United States was Woodrow Wilson. <laughs> you are using the platform that you have <laughs> to, get to my educate message everyone on this one subject. If you can have that put on your tombstone, it will be that. Here lies Matt Johnson. Woodrow Wilson was the 28th president of the United States. Like Bob Barker had spay and neuter your pets. You have Woodrow Wilson facts. So yeah, Woodrow Wilson. I bring him up because over the last week or so, he has been back in the news a uh, full nearly 100 years after his presidency. Um, it relates to his time at Princeton, um, Princeton, New Jersey. He was the president of Princeton. Um, shortly, like, like when we mentioned last, you, had, you, you know, we mentioned how interesting Woodrow Wilson's life was. No, you mentioned how interesting Woodrow Wilson's life. Was. No, I mean, I mean it in the way, uh, like you said, how interesting is his life? It's not, um, not until 1910. That's when it picks up when he became governor of New Jersey. But for a number of years, Wilson was the president at Princeton. Did a lot of good stuff while he was at Princeton. One of the things he did was he sort of reformed the education standards. Um, 
the way it works now, whereas you take two years of general study, then you take two years where you focus on your major. Um, he come up with that idea when he was a Princeton, and I like to thank him for that because that's why, even though I'm, I'm majoring in history, I have to take a fucking biology class. Thanks a lot, Woodrow Wilson. You just cut open Woodrow Wilson's body. What is this? <laughs> what is this? Tell me, Woodrow. I know everything about you, but what's inside? Um, so, um, naturally, as former president of the, um, school, and then later U.S. president, uh, one of the more, more notable presidents of the 20th century, uh, there's a lot of stuff at Princeton named in Wilson's honor. Um, there's the Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs. Um, there's a residential complex called Wilson College, where they have quotes and stuff from him. But, Lately, there's been sort of a backlash about Wilson because, um, for those of you not in the know, Wilson, uh, as, as many good things as he did, Wilson was, without a doubt, was, uh, a racist. And I mean, I don't mean this in like, oh, well, he's from 1910, so every, every white person was racist in 1910. No, he was more racist than the average white person, maybe. <laughs> That's why he was elected. He was the Donald Trump of his age. He was famous for resegregating the federal government after Teddy Roosevelt and William Howard Taft had taken strives to strives to reset uh, to desegregate it. He said, "Nope, fuck that." Um, he wrote several before he when he was a history teacher, a professor. He wrote several books about the United States, and a lot of his passages about uh, the Civil War were very much supporting the idea of. Uh, the lost cause that we've talked about before. Um, and he, his, his, um, quotes and passages are so pro South that he is quoted several times in the movie Birth of a Nation with some of his dialogue. This is something he said, um, quote, the white people of the country, as well as I, wish to see colored people progress and admire the progress they have made and we want to see them continue along independent lines. There is, however, a great prejudice against colored people. It will take 100 years to eradicate this prejudice, and we must deal with it as practical people. Segregation is not humiliating, but a benefit not to be regarded by you gentlemen. If your organization goes out and tells the colored people of the country that it is humiliation, then they will regard it as so. But if you do not tell them and regard it, rather as a benefit, they will regard it the same. The only harm that will come will be if you cause them to think of it as humiliation. So there we go. Woodrow Wilson defending segregation right there. Well, he seems like a nice guy. Um, No, no, no. I'm making this a whites-only bathroom for you. I'd really like for you to appreciate that. Also, don't make eye contact with me. I will shoot you. Look, we, we are giving you your own water fountain. Do you know how much I would give for my... Uh, well, I've already got one because I'm white, but... Uh, sorry, brain fart. Um, so the controversy is coming from Princeton's black students are demanding the school stop honoring Wilson. Um, there's this group, what's they're called? Uh, da, da, black Justice League. Oh, that's an awesome <laughs> name. God, that's awesome. Uh, the Black Justice League. And their spokesperson, uh, Static Shock. Have been putting up posters around the Princeton campus featuring quotes like the one I just mentioned and other offensive things that the former Princeton president said. They had a 200 student walkout, uh, and the Black Justice League has sent a list of demands <laughs> to the president of Princeton. 
and sort of they want to demand the university publicly public acknowledge the racist legacy of Woodrow Wilson and take steps to rename the public policy school and residential college. Um, so this sort of brings up something that I feel like this is sort of, I don't want to say mass hysteria on the on the other side of the fence from where, no pun intended, from where Trump and the conservatives are. But I feel like this is something that public opinion has been swaying since uh, the shootings in South Carolina and then the, the controversy over the rebel flag. It seems that people are, are extending it beyond um, other people and historical figures uh, trying to either acknowledge the contradictions of these people or just outright refusing to honor them anymore. And I was just wondering what your, both of you, your opinions were maybe on this, this idea of Wilson. Like, you know, can you appreciate his deeds um, while acknowledging his flaws and the things he did? Or would you just say that, you know, you can't honor this person because of his things? You know, can, can someone still be good despite having bad ideas and bad beliefs and, you know, doing bad things, you know? Well, first of all, I think that the idea, because I'm, I'm not a uh, expert on Woodrow Wilson. I'm not a expert My general thought on something like that is that if a person, a politician, a dictator, a king, just any person that is of a level of power to where they can change a nation, Mm -hmm. potentially, with their decisions, and does so in any small way, positive, in any general way, with multiple issues that they can enact positive change, then the person, I feel, doesn't matter. The person is entirely separate from the deeds committed by them in terms of who they are as people and who they are as politicians. That isn't to say that I don't consider him a bad person for the way he believed, because I do. Based on what you're telling me, yeah, that person can go to hell. Here's another uh, quote from him about the U.S. history. He wrote, quote, A great Ku Klux Klan rose up to rid whites of the intolerable burden of government sustained by the votes of ignorant Negroes, unquote. Well, that is a hell of a thing to say, but... I know. The fact of the matter is... Yeah, he's a horrible person. But if he did any amount of good, then I cannot just swipe that away in good consciousness. The fact of the matter is, I feel like you need to take the person and their policies all in full and not just pick and choose what sides you want to establish in order to define an entire person. And thusly, and more importantly, I feel like, a a person's term within a position of power. I feel like you can't just say this person is good, this person is evil without really taking in everything. I gotta say that I think you found your calling. You should be a lawyer. (laughs) I have three things I want to say on this subject. First of all, where I'm coming from with this is personally, I'm very irreverent about this kind of stuff. I don't think 
anyone should be put up on any kind of a pedestal, historical or otherwise. Mm-hmm. I don't really believe in statues or presidential libraries or things being named after people. All right, all right. Now, 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 I get the statue, things being named after people, but presidential libraries, come on. This country was founded on the idea of no political figure, great or otherwise, being held up above the common man. But... It was to be fair, but though, the, fair. the guys who founded the this country weren't common men. They were all aristocrats who didn't want to pay taxes and wanted They to were incredibly hypocritical, but as MB was saying, we do not judge the intent, we judge the deed. Yeah, but I mean a presidential library is different. It's not like the uh, you know, it's not like a giant pyramid. It's just a place where they store all their archives and stuff. It's a place where you can learn about a presidential administration. I mean you're taking the library thing very literally. I am because I'm. Fi- like, uh, what did you expect? I'm fi- I'm fine with like getting rid of like George Washington Highway or something like that, you know. But don't get rid of the Washington Presidential Library. I swear to God, I will fight somebody over that. <laughs> but uh, well, the Bible belt no more. <laughs> that said, I am a believer that when it comes to history. Oh, no. Let's see what you got to say about this now. There's a distinct difference between a person who is good by intention and by character and a person who is good by deed. As Alex was saying earlier, like there are plenty of people who have done great things for the world, who have moved mountains, who were not anybody you'd really want to hang out with. I do not want to have a beer with Alexander the Great. (laughs) Listen to some of these stories about George Washington and the Native American villages he raised and see if that's somebody you would want to shake hands with. But that doesn't diminish their actions because, as Batman once said, it is not who we are underneath, but our actions that define who we are. Uh, you butchered that quote, I, I just want to say. <laughs> I was paraphrasing. I, I phrased it better than fucking David Goyer did. I'm sorry. First, that man first, cannot construct a fucking sentence. First library is now Batman. You're also You are, like, inciting a two-man war <laughs> against you, Mr. Lopez, and I will not stand for it. You, lose you, have friends? Att- you have attacked us both at our core. This is how you lose friends, James. But uh, that said, looking at Woodrow Wilson, you have to judge the actions. Now, a good counterbalance to Woodrow Wilson would be somebody like Lyndon Johnson, who would use racial slurs freely, and was probably not the most enlightened thinking person whenever it came to racial manners, but still passed the Civil Rights Act. It was not what was in his heart that mattered, but the deed. Whereas Woodrow Wilson was racist in intent and in deed. As you said, he did a lot to march civil rights backwards. And I think that's what's standing the test of time. There's um, something that a lot of people who talk about Wilson, um, they also use this for Winston Churchill too, but sort of to defend them that no, they didn't believe in regression. They believed in change, but they believe supposedly if they believe, then they've, you know, like Wilson said this, like slow incremental change over a period of, of years, not to, like, like, like what happened with the Civil Rights Act where just bam, segregation is over with a stroke of a pen. 
Um, he he supposedly called for that. But the thing is, though, for the people who you always notice, the people who call for slow incremental change are always the people who will not benefit from that change. Yeah, they're the people you know? who want change to be implemented long after they're in the ground. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. People like Wilson and Churchill who are these white guys who, you know, they've had everything their entire lives, all of the advantages. Like, I'm perfectly willing to let go of this power after I'm dead. Yeah, let, let someone else, you know, that's, that's, that's future, that's the future's problem, not mine. Um, but, so would you say that you've, you've already, you've already made clear, James, your disdain for anything that makes people think of history? <laughs> It's been clear. You've already shown your disdain for proper Batman quotes. Yes. Um, so would you say that the stuff that's going on at Princeton, would you say is wrong to honor Wilson? Or, you know, because his presidential legacy aside, he did do some good stuff for the college itself, you know. I would say Woodrow Wilson got to be president, so he's won enough. So would you want to just them to take or what about what they're actually calling for to where leaving it but fully acknowledging his racial history? I, to me, I feel like that is the best of both worlds because you, I would say so. get, to, you get to have this three-dimensional picture. Because sort of the problem is um, with what you find issue with, with some of these things where we see these names, we see these statues, we see these libraries that you so hate. We see them, but we don't see the context. We don't see the full picture of these people, both through good and bad perspectives. And what you need and that is leads transparency. To, that leads is. to like idolization. That's why, yes. despite the fact that our the founders of this country were a bunch of you know aristocratic, uh, tight ass uh, tax evaders, we hold them up on a pedestal like they were gods of freedom and liberty of the masses when the fact of the matter was they couldn't stand the masses they couldn't stand the people who voted that was the last thing they wanted was the people electing someone you know by themselves that that terrified them you know but yet when you turn on a republican debate that's all they was talking about is our forefathers you know saw the good of this country this christian country Designed for Christians and only Christians, you know, it's become bastardized and twisted over the 250 years to the point to where we, most people don't even know. They just, they're just names. They're names and they're myths and stuff that gets repeated. And it's almost like, it almost is American mythology is what it is. It's the John Lennon effect. Like, people won't look past you what a person actually believes as long as the myth is there. Yeah, the myth is what they latch on to. Or like the great um, movie, The Man Who Shot Liberty Balance. When the lie becomes the alleged print lie. Now, in the interest of doing something you're quite fond of, Matt Johnson, playing devil's advocate. It's my time now. <laughs> the devil's advocate. I want to pose a question to James Lewis. Now, this may seem completely unrelated. It may seem a bit silly, even. But I just want to put this out there, and I'm very curious as to what his answer is going to be. If Kelly Sue DeConnick had a statue or a library named in her honor for her achievements in comic books, her achievements in great progression in terms of character work, in terms of the way that women are perceived, female characters, female superheroes, transgender characters, minorities, every 
great aspect of comics as we see them today. If they decided they wanted to give her a statue or commemorate her in some way, would you say she has earned that above the common man? I would say yes, because she's not an old white dude. But what if 20 years later it comes out that she was a rabid anti-Semite? <laughs> <laughs> then they can tear it down. Okay. But no, that, that would make you, it more awesome. Like, 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 there's, there's, there's <laughs> a whole other layer that we never knew about. She was a super villain all along. There, there's like, they comes out, there's a record of her saying, you know what happened with Captain Marvel? The Jews canceled it. <laughs> you hear me, Matt? It was the Jews that did it. Like, I, I equate it to the idea of the Doctor Doom statue in the middle of that area. Like, I want, I want a comic book. Like, if Donald Trump gets elected, I want him to actually be the first president to have a monument larger than the Lincoln Memorial. Well, that's what Trump Tower is. He just lives in a palace shaped like his own face, like Mussolini. <laughs> yeah, I was just putting that out there because I wanted to see if I could test your metal. He's, he's trying to test your faith, James. Yes. No, that's, that's as far as my convictions go. It's like, oh, well, she's cool, so okay. Well, that's better than my metal, where I was in full favor of the RoboCop statue in Detroit going up, so. Oh, no. Fictional characters I'm all for. Robots and cool comic book ladies. Those are the two people who should have statues. Well, see, that's what I'm saying is that my convictions and my loyalties do not lie with the people who have actually changed history and who have actually made a difference. My convictions lie with Superman. Wait, 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 wait. RoboCop made a difference. He ended the 80s. Without the biting satire of RoboCop to wake the 80s up from its cocaine-filled stupor, that decade might never have ended. Wait, wait, wait. RoboCop was a satire? And until the South rises again, I've been James. I've been Matt. And Woodrow Wilson was the 20th president of the United States. And I have been a guest on this podcast. And you've just been below the Bible Belt. Mr. DNA, where did you come from? From your blood. 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 This has been a Pulp Podcast production. Truly, human nature changes little. We may be civilized on the surface, but down deep, we are primitive. He goes directly at Kalu and impales him. So, in comes his horse. Oh no, the wild card. You hear an uh, iron dink as it ricochets off his brass balls. And Lucas says, you are one ugly motherfucker. He dies of dysentery. Dysentery is where you die of extreme diarrhea. <laughs> he caught the shits and he died. Conjectural combat. Where the factual and the fictional meet for fisticuffs. There are a lot of issues that plague the comic book community at large that are really never kind of addressed. I think what the three of us really wanted to do was do a show where we explore all of that. And by the very hand of Odin himself, 
We now have <laughs> the seed of this podcast. Marvel's Odin. Does DC have an Odin? I say must. I don't, th- yeah, I don't think it. so. Let's go with, like, Image Odin. Look, look, DC has Hercules, so it has to have something. Who doesn't have Hercules? Spawn? He has Angela, who's, like, Lady Hercules. She is, she is kind of Hercules-like. Can we still yeah. legally say Spawn has Angela? Have I just gotten us in trouble? Well, now that she's Asgardian, I think it's, it's fair play, so... Hey, she's not technically Asgardian. Yeah, but she's Asgard's assassin. And she has, like, a weird new haircut. Have you seen Angela's new redesign? Look, we can get all into the pathos of Angela on another episode. That was just a little taste of graphic novelism. <laughs> <laughs> so, did Mike and MB post the wayward commentary to the internet? And having no further concern... The boys sought podcasting adventure in the West. Many wars and feuds did they chat about. Honor and fear were heed upon their name. In time, they became internet kings by their own hand. This story shall also be told. Pulp Nightmare, a podcast undreamed of. Thanks, Cowboy Bob. And scene. That was the stupidest cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to agree with Matt. That was amazing in its utter lack of thought.